Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us. I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. I am blown away to be able to bring to you Anthony Trucks. So I've been following Anthony for probably close to two years now. A year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to not only see Anthony speak, but to meet him. So euphoric at this point. (laughs) Anthony is not only a podcaster, he's a coach, he's a a writer. I mean, the man is just prolific in what he does. He's making a huge impact. And so please welcome with me, Anthony Trucks. Anthony, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing well, man. This is my my first conversation with a human this morning. So we're going we're gonna to have some fun. You get to you get the beginning juices of Anthony, all the caffeine from my green tea. Let's go to work, dog. Yeah, but I know from you, you're intentional in your habits. Yeah. So that you're not burning up energy, man. You're like the energizer bunny yeah. and, and you are able to present with high energy. I mean, that's one thing that stands out for me. I've seen you, you know, like I said, I've seen you speak. Mm-hmm. You have a vibe and an energy that you just bring. That's not like the normal speaker, but you're also just your go, go, go. You have that resiliency and that endurance. Um, how do you do that, man? Like, I know part of what you're doing is kind of like making some decisions just rote, like they're habitual, but yeah. how are you doing that? You know, you build up into it. it to be a quite honest, it's a, it's an individual or an individualized process. You have to figure out that this is not something like the way that I operate that I was doing, you know, five years ago, six years ago. It's, it's funny. It's, it's so you're the computer guy talked about. It's kind of like you have to increase the RAM, right? It's, yes. It's like little by little, you have to do it. And it's not something you do just like computer and plug it in. It's, it's like building uh, like a muscle. If you talk about physiology, it's like, I got to build the strength. So it just took time, man, little by little, just for example, I'll stack my schedule in the beginning. If I had like an eight hour day of things back to back to back, there's no way my brain could have switched gears and focused at the level it needed to, to be able to be functional and and very, you know, efficient and productive in that eight hours. But now like you can give me eight hours and I know how to switch gears and I can completely stay focused the entire time, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's a muscle I had to build over time. It's the only, it's the only thing I think I can't give to somebody, but you have to go give to yourself through building it. But at this point, man, it's, it's normal for me to go to fast tech. In fact, it feels awkward if I'm not. I feel like I'm not 
fully, you know, being myself. It's like if I went to the weight room and I'm, I'm real strong now and I'm lifting baby weights all day, it's like, dude, you can do more. So I'm, I got a good balance, but I don't freak out. I don't burn out. Dude, the last three weeks, going on four weeks now almost, I have been running days from like 6 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. I got a book launch, you know, and so it's in the middle of the books come out in like a, less than two weeks. And so that, that spin up has been crazy, but I'm good, man. I get up and do my thing. I, I get like, I get my emails done like 10 o'clock at night. It feels like right now. And then I'm up again at 5.30 in the morning and just, I'm running. I'm still doing dad stuff. I'm still doing husband stuff. It's all still there. It's just a matter of, it's just fast paced now. Yeah, I gotcha. Hey, can we talk about where you are with a family now? I know your oldest is driving, you're, you're stepping into that zone there. So mm-hmm. can we talk about the, the personal side for you right now? Yeah, man, why not? That's, that's a big part for me anyways. So my wife, she is, uh, she's running collegiate track because she, she didn't start her athletic clock when she was in college. So she started it now, which is pretty cool. So she's doing that. My daughter's a swimmer and just her, like, she, it's a month off right now. She goes year round, but she's a little shark in the pool, man. So for some reason she figured out how to swim really, really well. And like at her age group, she's the fastest one in her age. My youngest son plays football and I coach his football team. So I'm, I'm their defensive coordinator, which was not intentional. And I, I tried to not be it, but they forced me to do it because I have a football brain. It's just, it's one of the things that if you play linebacker in the NFL, you kind of learn some things that peewee football kids may benefit from. Yeah, that's the thing. And then outside of that, man, my oldest son, he's doing track. So he's actually going to be in college next year. He's in senior year right now. He's more than driving. He's about to leave his place. So yeah, it's, it's been an interesting kind of climb and build, but kids are good. Family's good. I'm loving it. And, and it shows, man. I mean, there's, there is an engagement and involvement that, that you have with your family that I just, I love to be able to sit on the sidelines and watch what you share. Mm. Um, you'd mentioned your upcoming book. You've already written one book. Now, now you've got your second one coming out. Can you speak to that? What's going on on the business side for you? Yeah, man. So the first book was an autobiography and I was like, I'm going to go ahead and write this book. That's got to get out of my body. It's more catharsis. I think there's times when we all have these, these things that need to come out. And if you don't get them out, they just fester and stew. And then I realized like there's a story that was, or is my life that needed to come out. And it's funny as I've always looked at it. Someone told me years ago, it's it's not actually my story. It's my experience. It's the world's story. So the world needs to hear the story, right? So I, I put in a book, the first one, and got it out. And that was like autobiography, no big deal, but a big deal. And then this time around, it was more of beyond Anthony. It's like, how, how can I take what I've learned and experienced and now that I know, how can I give it to the world in a way that benefits people? So I, it wasn't even an intentional book to write, oddly. It sounds, sounds weird to say that right now, but I, I was writing it without intentionally writing in a sense of I was making the, the, you know, the brain dumps and the structure, I was putting concepts in places and I was writing stories down, like what would the studies be? And then it was just sitting there. And at some point I met a guy who introduced me to a publisher who then was like, dude, just, just write this book. You got it there. It looks like you're, you know, you're about 50% of the way because you got everything just for the most part thought out. Most people don't even have that much. I'm like, all right. So then we put it together and it ends up being a really good time in the world for it with everything kind of so in such disarray, so many people kind of figure out who they are, the world changing. It's, it's like this complete lack of an anchored identity for a lot of people. And so the book's coming out in less than two weeks, man. I'm excited about it because it gives you the concept of an identity shift, which is a huge piece of the work I do and very important for us as human, of humans. And then on the other side, it shows you and walks you through our method called the shift method to make that shift. It's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of like the, the rubric that most people don't even know exist to measure up against, but then it's also like the process to follow to do it. 
you've been totally flexible and open to shifting. I think so many of us wrap our identity in what we're doing, but if I remember correctly, your book was initially scheduled to launch in May and because of COVID, you kind of had to hold that off. Two years ago, I remember, you know, listening to one of, one of your episodes where you were like, Hey, I went to this mastermind retreat. You got some feedback from people that were attending that it's like, Hey, make this change here. And it's like, you're creating stuff, you're sharing your story and your knowledge, but you're not holding it so tight that you're not willing to improve or to, or to let your baby grow. How do you, how do you set like your objective and your goals and yet still have an open hand with that to allow those shifts to happen. Oh man. Cause you get, you get married and identify to the effort, not the outcome. There's, there's always going to be an outcome, right? And usually the outcome is not one that we can always anticipate. We'd like to think we can, we'd like to be like, this is what I know is going to have happen at the end. But I've always found man that, that usually at the back end of something, something greater always comes than I actually anticipated. It just always has been that way. And I mean, experientially, emotionally, because we're like, oh, this is going to be awesome when I do this. And you do it, you're like, that was way better than I thought it was going to be. Like, that's, you know, so, but the thing for me is, I think far too many people are attached to the outcome in their head and then nothing can change. You know, it's got to be this. It's the only way to get there. And I've realized, man, life has a pretty amazing plan to get us to some cool destinations, but we're the ones that mess them up. We get in the way of ourselves. We, we hinder things. We're fearful. We make excuses. We do you know dumb things with dumb people. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, what happened? Well, you, you kind of got in the way of the amazing life plan. So for me, whenever I, I look at life, I'm like, all right, what's life trying to give me right now? And don't get me wrong. Like, it takes years to get a good filter to understand the feeling. So like there's a feeling that we have and a lot of people don't trust. We'll call it the gut. There's a lot of like you've spent years learning things, understanding things. It's, it's just I'm talking every day. There are millions of points of data entering your brain and your conscious mind cannot hold on to all of it. So it does go back to the hippocampus. We want to call it that your memory center or just goes back to some area. And then as we're consciously thinking, we'll, we'll do something and something goes in and the brain back there goes, hey, 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 guy, hey, there's something going on. Hey. And you go, no, shut up. I got this. And you're like, no, no, no. I'm trying to tell you. You're like, no, I got this. And then we do dumb stuff. But I just kind of listen and go, well. Some part of the infinite, you know, wisdom sitting back there from just experiencing life, something back there is telling me something. Now, I can't put into words. It's speaking a different language, but I get the emotion of it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to trust this. So over, over time, you start having a conversation. I still don't understand the language, but I understand the emotion of it. So when things happen, I go, ah, this feels a certain way. The last time it felt like this, I did this, this happened. Let's try it again. Well, let's not try it again, right? And so I just kind of go with it. So yeah, so how do you flow with things? Well, I know that the destination is something that's going to be better. So I trust the process. When life presents me with something, I feel it out. If it feels right, I go. And that's how I do things. To be honest, it's kind of like how football is. Football is this interesting thing where people think you're always perfect. I got yelled at every single day, but here's what you do. You see something, you sprint a direction, and you go full speed, even if it's wrong. And they go, hey, on that play, you messed up. You should have done this. Okay, cool. I go back to plan. The next time that play comes up in that moment of reaction, I'll remember, or I hope I will, and I'll adjust, but it doesn't mean I stop going full speed. Over time, it starts to become second nature to notice, to feel, to flow to where the game is easy. And you can't even consciously tell people why it's easy. You just been, you just a gang, you just gang, amazing. You just run around, no big deal. And be like, this guy's great. Like, honestly, they call it instincts. 
So over time, essentially, I gather instincts, and that's how I live my life. That's awesome. Hey, you, so you spoke about football there. Can we go back and talk about how you got into football? Yeah, accidentally, but also intentionally. Yeah, it was this thing where I, I was growing up in foster care, and, and I could not play sports. So all my classmates played you know, football. So on Fridays, they show up to school with their jerseys on because they're going to play Saturday morning. And I'm like, man, I want to do that. And you know, all throughout the week during recess, I was destroying those kids on the football field, you know, catching footballs. So I'm, I'm out there amazing. And then what ends up happening is like, you get, if everybody's doing it, you do it. If all my teammates and my, my classmates would have been playing soccer, I'd have been playing soccer. You know, like it just would have been the thing. If they played badminton, I'd have been playing badminton. We all played football. So that's kind of the accident of it. But then I wanted to, and I couldn't. And what ended up happening was I got adopted at 14. When I finally got adopted, I had an opportunity to play team sports for the first time because in the system, like I wasn't allowed because my biological mom, different conversation. And when I finally played, I sucked at it really, really bad, which is the natural journey for everybody. Whenever you try something new, it, it most definitely when you love it too. like I try this thing because I want to do it and I love it. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm realizing I'm not good. And then why would you, you know, you just tried it. And for me, I'm, you know, four to six years behind some of my peers. They've been playing for a long time. So I don't have the same skill sets at all. This is the year before high school. So I go out there and I'm getting not just the emotional pain from feeling, you know, the fact that I suck at it, but the physical pain, because I'm getting smashed and, they, and I feel that I suck at it. And so football became this thing where at first I loved it and then I hated it. And then I, re, like, I rekindled a love for it later on after I, I did some work to improve my skill set to get better at the game. When you first started, and like you said, you're sucking at football, what caused you to persevere and stick with it to the point where you improved? I mean, a lot of people when it's like, hey, I don't like whatever sport that mom and dad put me into or that I picked out. When they hit that period where they suck, they'll want to bail. What caused you to stay engaged? I think a couple of things. One was one was something tied to the fact of like self-worth. I think we didn't, I didn't have much self-worth at the time. So when, whenever you have these things happen, so I got adopted at 14. My mom gets diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I'm one of six kids in a family. My older brother is like my rock. He shoots off to the military. So I'm just kind of hanging out. And what ends up happening is I just don't feel good about myself. And I'm sitting in the classroom and these two girls are talking to each other. They don't actually know I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm just kind of like halfway passed out. And one of them says to the other one, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And now face value, it's just a statement. It's like, okay, well, these two girls saying something random. But for me, the interesting thing was they gave me a gift. And the gift was hearing my excuse out loud and how stupid it was. And that's a gift that I think a lot of people get. And so when I had that, I kind of like, it unsettled my heart that day. And I remember going home and looking in the mirror at some point after contemplation going like, I just want to be great. I don't want to be the kid that grows up and is a, you know, a bad person because of something that happened to me that I had no control over. And I was like, well, how do you, how do you do something and become great? And well, you got to find something to be great. At. I was like, well, let's try this football thing again, you know? And so I went into it. And I think part of it was like, one, want to be great, but two, I wanted to feel like I mattered. I don't think that as, as foster kids, we aren't given the, the care and appreciation and love most of the time. So we don't feel like we matter very much. And so it's my area to start building this, this sense of self. And it's built 1,000%. It's built brick by brick and day by day. You do, it, there's no other way that you get it. And this is anybody's life. You know, it's just uh, luckily for a lot of people, I think 
mom and dad and teachers and coach, they build it early on. So by the time you're in your, you know, teens, you got that. My kids have bricks on bricks of confidence. There's, there's, they just, they have the love, they have the support. They, they're fine being weird because they know they got home base, right? I didn't have that. So for me, I had to build it brick by brick, but then I built it in football. So football became this thing that was me. I had a sense of anchored identity there. I felt comfortable. I felt confident. You couldn't take that from me. And it was an expression. Like I could completely go out there and be all me all the time, no problems, and no one could take it away. And that was a beautiful place to be. So were you at the time, like before you heard those two girls speaking, were you were you saying that same thing as an excuse? You know, it's because I'm you know, a foster yeah, kid. You just had that. It's, it's an easy checkout, man. It's an easy cop out. I'm a foster kid. I'm not supposed to have very much. What, what are the foster kids that you know doing well? There aren't yeah. many, man. I mean, there's very few. Right. Like There's 400,000 in California alone, right? There's a lot. And if you look at any prison in America, 75% of the inmates have spent time in foster care. Half of our homeless population make up foster care or make up you know, from foster care. Like, like less than 1% of us graduate college. So we, we don't have much of any statistical analysis or statistical data that shows like we're going to be successful. So when you have that going on, it's an easy checkout. You're like, I'm a foster kid. I'm not supposed to do very well. And that becomes the, the narrative and the story. And then we live in a, in a way, which all of us do, we live in a way to make that story right, unfortunately. So from that point where you heard them say that, and then it's like a light bulb goes on, like, whoa, wait a minute, I need to change. How are you kind of keeping alert? How are you doing like a checks and balance for when there's stuff you're saying in it and it comes up as like an, an unacknowledged excuse. You know what I mean? Like, how do you do that going forward? At that time? Oh, you don't, you just, you just you're a kid, man. I'm 15 years old, dude. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. like going forward, how have you done that? I'm sorry. No, 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 it's sorry. fine. I think, you know, I think there's always that, that we know right and wrong. Here's what's driven me for a lot of years. And I think people, they, they take this for granted, but it's a really good tool, man. We know right and wrong. We do. The problem is what's right. Doesn't always feel right. It's hard. So it feels difficult. It feels heavy. At a certain point, I just drove myself based on what was right and wrong, not what I wanted to do. That's the difference. I think a lot of people try to find ways to, like, we know what's right and wrong. We know we should or shouldn't do. And then we try to convince ourselves to go in the direction of what feels better. And I just don't convince myself. I have this internal conversation and I just don't listen to the guy that's lazy. I don't listen to the guy that that's right. I just don't. It's very weird. If you went to hang out in my head, you'd be like, it's a circus in here. I'm a very calm, cool, normal guy, but we all have that voice. Michael Singer has a book called The Untethered Soul. And he talks about you're the watcher. And it's funny when I first read the book, it was like, that was a real eye open. I'm like, bro, I've always been that guy. I didn't even realize like, I'm the one that'll sit there and people like, how, cause I got ADHD by the way, back of bad for most people. And my son has it too. But if you ever kind of like watch me when I'm not on, I am very calm. I just sit and stare. And people are like, how do you have ADHD? You sit calm, like, because I'm not calm. I am as a circus conversation going on in my head at all moments. I just learned how to take it inside. I, I think I'm trying to teach my son the same thing. I'm like, I will sit. It's very weird. I will sit here and go, why is that tree doing that? What's the purpose? Where did it go? Is there a bird there? What'd that bird do? Oh, yeah, birds. Don't they plant trees? Did it make that tree right there? Look at that garbage can. Why won't the neighbor just put the garbage can away? That blue, that's a cool blue. Where do they get blue? How do you put color into plastic to make it blue? Like this is, and it's nonstop in my head all day. 
And, but that's how I keep calm. And so the circus of my brain is good and it just rolls like that. And then when I progress forward, I'm always trying to find a way to do what's right. So me and that guy have a conversation and we know what's right. If he's like, nah, just do this because it's easier. I'm like, yeah, but easy isn't right, man. Or do the hard way. What's going to happen? I don't know. We're going to find out. Let's go. I just go. And so like, it's, it's this interesting navigation of just the inner moments that over time, it just, it's kind of come together to be this guy. And I like him and the world likes him and he works and I, I stay clean and operate smooth. I don't do things in the dark that could come to the light, but it's always been a, me, a matter of me just kind of driving the direction of what is, here's the question I ask. This is a serious question. People should ask themselves, what will make the next moments of my life better? Not what do I want to do next? What will make the next moments of my life better? Because the next moment might be you swallowing your pride and, and admitting a fault and apologizing. The next moment might be you hitting start on the workout and going to work. You may not want to do it, but that's going to make the next moment of your life better. So for me, I, I always live with that question in my head. And I hate having to ask it sometimes, but I do constantly. But it drives me in the right direction. Yeah. And, it, and that's what will get you to that different place. And in, in like how you've got your habits built up is it's doing the hard things. And I mean, it's it's life changing. It's empowering on the backside, even though it's like going to the gym seems like the crazy thing, but it's like going to the gym puts you in a better mental state, more energy, physical. I mean, the statistics are out there. Yeah. It's a better for your brain. There's a good book called spark that talks about it by Dr. John radiant. I got it over here. I read it a while ago and it's a really, really good book, but it talks about how like most people it's said, most people assume that the, the body is designed to carry the brain around. Like it's just this was going to carry this thing around. Like, no, dude, it actually helps fuel that body, that brain. If you do it right and it reaches brain proteins and all that kind of stuff, it helps clarify. It's just, it's good. There's, there's a ton that's beneficial for your brain. There's a brain protein called brain derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. And post-workout, it's, it's prominent. It, it's all in the brain. It's actually used for essentially building the brain synapses and managing them while your chemicals, your serotonin, dopamine, or epinephrine, right? So what happens, it's kind of like BDNF builds the, the, the highways of the synapses and then also maintains them. But that is, it's, it's shooting out post-workout and it helps with memory. It helps with learning, all that kind of stuff. So not during exercise, post-exercise is the best time to learn, to memorize all that stuff. And even then having more of it helps the brain be healthier, more consistently, you're more focused, you're more on, your energy levels are higher. So when you train and it ain't gotta be like CrossFit, puking everyday training. It just needs to be more than you're doing. If you just get your heart rate up a little bit, like you do your thing, bro, it keeps you on. So when we were talking about the fact that my brain can stay on for, for longer, I get about an hour, hour and 10 minutes of, of steady state work, like a workout every day. The reason is not just because I, I want to look sexy naked. That's part of it. But the other part is like, I really want to make sure that I get used to my body being in that state of like heart rate high, getting in things pumping. Cause I know at the end of the day, it helps my brain. So I'll, I'll have like an average heart rate of like 160 sometimes for an hour, just moving nonstop breathing, nonstop breathing. And it's for the heart health. It's for the strength. It's for the muscle. I think yesterday I burned like 800, 900 calories pretty easy. Just I roll, but that is not just for the exercise portion. It's because of what I do for a living. Hi, coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. 
there is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. That's awesome. I don't think until we realize where we're at, where we can be based on the stuff like working out, getting more sleep, where it can transport us to. Yeah. So when, when you were a teenager, you're playing football, you went on to the NFL. How did you, how did you get there as far as you went and, and played for Oregon? But like, was that a goal you had set out and you were like, yep, I'm alert. I'm awake. This is intentional a path I want to go. Or how did it present itself? I worked itself out. It's always been a next step for me. For me, I think the thing is I've always looked at the next, what's the next thing in line, not where do I want to go, but where's the next thing in line. And, and I think what I do there is I don't look too far ahead and it helps me be great in this moment here. You ever hear about teams that play people and they like, they're looking at the team ahead or they weren't folks in this team at hand and they go to the next team. I think some people live their life that way. Like I'm doing this, but I'm really trying to get here. So I'm, I'm going to halfway do this and then I'll build to that. For me, it's like, what's the next thing? And look, how do I make sure I get there for sure? How do I focus on this bridge here? Mm-hmm. So when I was playing high school football, the goal, it wasn't even college for a while, but then it was like, oh, college is an opportunity. Let me go do that. Then I get to college and the goal wasn't to play in the NFL. The goal was just to play. Can I play on the University of Oregon? Right. And so like, all right, I'm going to do that. And then it was like, all right, I'm playing. Can I start? Okay, cool. What does it look like to start? So I would start. And okay. Then it was like my junior year, like, oh, wait. I might be good enough to play in the NFL. Then what does that look like? What do I got to do? And so you just build. It was a next step. And so it was just a progression through, but I wasn't that kid. If you go back, you would, you would find no one that was sitting there, you know, probably saying, Oh yeah. Anthony always talked about going to the NFL. I never did. It wasn't even, it wasn't NFL was not even a thought on my, on my mind. Literally wasn't a thought until like my junior year of college. Didn't even cross my mind. It's very interesting, but like, it wasn't this thing where I'm like, I'm going to go do this thing. Mostly because at the end of the day, it wasn't in my wheelhouse. It wasn't something that was there, but it came into play and it kind of progressed forward over time. So what was it if, it, if the NFL wasn't like the motivating factor, I believe it was your sophomore year that you unseated like a fifth year senior for his position? Sophomore, yeah. Sophomore year. I, I wanted to. So there's this thing called redshirting in college, which means if you go there and you don't play your first year, you redshirt. And it's essentially said, I'm going to learn, I'm going to practice, but I'm not going to play in the game. So what ends up happening is I get to the point of like the end of my freshman year, I find my real dad and he lives in Marietta, Georgia. Well, our first game the next year is in Mississippi state. Mm-hmm. And as a fifth year senior, which means it's his last year. He redshirted. He's been there the whole time. There's a guy named Garrett Graham starting. This other guy was David and David was going to be the guy who's supposed to start the next year. He'd never really started because he'd been behind the guy. It was his year to start, but I wanted to start. So I was like, well, it's my second year, his fifth year. I really don't like, I like the guy, but I don't care what he wants to do. I know what I want. And at the end of the day, the best player plays, man. So I was like, I want to meet my dad, but I don't want to meet him right in the bench. I don't want to have this guy come drive out five hours with his family. He has, I have an older sister and a younger brother has a wife. I don't want him to come out and have him just sit in the stands and watch me sit the bench. So I was like, I'm going to find a way this off season to go out there and be the starter. 
And I went internal, man. I learned, I, I processed, I figured out. And I, every single play of every practice was like a game, full energy, full effort. I got tuned to just go hard at all moments. There was no, there was no other gear. It was just that one gear, you know? And so the more I did it, the more I showed up, boom, all of a sudden, like I'm this guy that's, that's starting and I'm playing my soon, my very first game was against Mississippi State National Television. I got a game ball. We won and I got to beat my real dad, man. Dude, that makes sense. Now I can see the motivation behind it. Yeah. Getting there. I can imagine how much like focus and energy went into that. So as you're going along, you know, you said you get into the NFL. How do things progress through the the NFL going forward? What does that look like? Uh, it's hard, man, because the NFL stands for not for long. You get in, you get hurt, you get out. Kind of sucks. It's, it's a weird journey there. But I mean, it wasn't the end of the world having like experience at all. The good thing was football is this really weird. It's like a really weird microcosm of the actual world. It's hardship. No one cares about you. It's just difficult all the time, like for almost no reason. And you end up getting to the point of of trying to navigate the situation at hand while you're alone and you have nothing that really gives you a sense of like confidence and, and comfort because every single day they're telling you, hey, I'm going to cut you, hey, I'm going to cut you, hey, I'm going to cut you. And then I was a young, you know, up and coming guy, free agent. I wasn't this dude that was highly drafted first round, like none of that, man. So I'm sitting there like, what do I do with all this? So I'm in there just trying to find a way to stick around. And I mean, the NFL is this thing where you just, you're trying the best you can to operate internally like in calmness, but the reality is, it's chaos everywhere. There's no, there's no sense of this is my home because I'm away from my home and my wife and my and my son at this time. Uh, at one point, I wanted to quit my rookie year. Like I don't want to do this. This sucks. I'm like, the coaches don't like me. The teammates I have don't talk to me. I'm not doing it great. I'm in Tampa, Florida, in Orlando, uh, like with Tampa Buccaneers, and it's hell on earth out there. It's like 112 degrees and like 200 percent humidity, dude. It's like. I would lose 12 pounds in practice. I would walk in water, which squirt out of the eyelets of my shoe sweat. Like this all around sucks. Like not only am I internally unhappy, physically it sucks. This is like torture. And you just, but you learn to navigate it and you learn to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That is the one thing that people take for granted and they hear a lot, but no one, I don't think people are really listening to what that means. And so when I hear comfortable being uncomfortable, the NFL taught me this amazingly. What I hear is like, think about a nice winter day, night, we'll call it, had a great day. And it's, you know, uh, holiday time, the fire's on, you're sitting by the couch, you got your PJs on, you got your hot cocoa, or whatever's a great drink, watch your favorite movie, family's all there. It's cozy. It's really comfortable. That is the kind of level of, of, of comfort you need to have with the idea of discomfort. Like for moments that would be uncomfortable for most people, when you can have this, I kind of like this feeling. It's crazy because what you'll do is what everybody else won't do. So you get to have what everybody else can't have. So football, it wasn't the best way to come across it, but it taught me how to live every day in discomfort and find joy in it, find the good things, embrace it. And I can emotionally sense when I'm getting there in different parts of my life. I'm kind of there now with all the stuff going on. It gives me a weird sense of comfort and calm and I'm, I'm accustomed to it, you know, like I'm friends with it. And then when you, that happens now, all the things that most people would, wouldn't do, like I do without question. And lo and behold, I have more. 
It's not because I'm special. I wasn't born with an extra, you know, fiber in my brain or more synapse, nothing. I was the football guy. I was a jock. You know, I, all I did was just leaned into the difficulty longer to build the muscle to be able to get through football. And so football, what it taught me and what the NFL taught me was like, if you can find ways to embrace the suck, man, your life will suck less. Was it that that got you to the point where, you know, you're talking about your coaches not liking you and, and not really feeling included. Like it's, it's not a place of, Hey, I belong. And, you know, you've gone through foster care. You're still trying to make your way through college. Is it, is it all that stuff that built up to where you're, you're, you know, like you're talking about being comfortable in the uncomfortable situations. Was that kind of where, where you just became okay with however it was, or was there something further on down the road that, that clicked and you're just like, Hey, whether I I'm in a room where I belong or not, I'm okay with this. You know what I mean? You're okay with you regardless of where you're at. Yeah. It's part of it. <clears throat> I think it's not the only part of it, but there's definitely a piece of it that has to do with that. It's, it's, I mean, it's a couple of things. I mean, football teaches you a whole heck of a lot. It's not just as how to be uncomfortable. It's how to manage conversations, how to be able to talk to people, how to be able to work with people you don't like people you do like it's, it's, you know, it's how to, how do I, go super hard against somebody that I like, but I want, I'm trying to make sure I look good. And afterwards we go have a beer later, you know, like, how do you do all these things? You find the in-betweens and grooves, the weird spots, but yeah, it's, it's hard to put football into a bubble there because it's not a game at that point. It's a job and it's a career and it's something that you do. You just happen to use your body and you're on national television. Everybody can poke holes at you. You know, that's kind of, that's the difference of it. It's a really, it's a high pressure, high intensity, you know, tension situation, but there are so many life lessons, but yeah, man, my, I loved my years of football and I hated them at the exact same time. It's like when, when you go back and reminisce, when I look at the overarching aspect of football from like 50,000 feet, I'm like, yeah, I liked it. When I get down to street level, I'm like this, I hated it with a passion. <laughs> you know, like it's a very weird thing to think through. Like when I think about the days, when I try to emotionally go back to the days that I was there, it, it hurts. It's like gross. I'm like, ugh, I don't like it. Just it's not fun. You know, it's just not fun. <laughs> but at the overarching, I'm like, man, but I love the experience of it all, you know, collectively. And it benefited me well. But yeah, dude, football was, I mean, there's a lot of moments of, you know, I should have been there, shouldn't have been there, cut when I don't think I should have been cut, picked up, but I didn't think I should have been picked up and signed. You know, you make plays, you don't make plays, you get love, you don't get love. It's just, dude, it's a conundrum. And, and I think as much as people look at it with like these googly eyes and it's great, it is not as great as it looks. The money's great. The money, I'm not gonna lie, the money's great, but the game itself, dude, like I, I didn't, I'd love to play in the game, but everything else surrounding it was not enjoyable to me. I want to make sure we've got time to talk about the computer aspect of what you describe in your book and the Venn diagram and everything like that. You have, there is so much more that I would just love to tap into, but I want to make sure that we get into also where things are as far as like all that culmination, what it's brought you to and what you're training people on. Yeah. Can you, can you walk us through like in the book, how you just, you describe the hardware and the software and, and just how we have that opportunity to really grow and shift our identity. Yeah. I was just recording the audiobook portion for that. So I'm, that's fresh in my mind, man, that I go, I go in depth in the, in the actual book. It's a lot of talking in the book. So I want it to be clear and I really unpack it, but it's actually very simple. I can say it in probably like 20 seconds. 
But here's what I've come to find. We are just like computers. We have hardware, we have software. We are the hardware, the body. The software is the actual, the identity. We do have a processor, which is a brain, right? So the brain can get overwhelmed. It can, it can overheat. It could be like, this is too much and shut down, right? Just like an actual computer would and, and the processor would just go kaput. But then what ends up happening is most people are walking around and, and they don't realize that, that they have programs in life, which are my relationships, my health, my careers. So it's a program that I'm, I'm running, right? It's capable of being run if the hardware can function, if the processor can manage, and if the software can run the program, right? I can, I can communicate with my wife or my kids and talk to you and work and write all these different things or focus. So what ends up happening is a lot of people get to the point of going, well, my life sucks. The programs aren't working. I'm getting updates that say, hey, you need to work on this. This program needs updating. This program needs updating. I go, I don't got time for that. Let me snooze in. So I don't listen to my wife. I don't listen to my body. I don't listen to my boss at work. And all of a sudden, boom, the program crashes. Marriage fails. I'm out of shape. I get sick. The boss fires me. People go, ah, oh, what's going on? And they just they think it's something outside of them. And I go, no, nah, at the end of the day, there's a way that we can fix this because there are some people that seem to have great relationships and have great careers and they have great bodies. How are they doing all of it at the same time? Well, to be quite honest, it has nothing to do really with their special. I guess the thing is I hate when people go like, oh, they're special. Right? Nobody's special, man. Like, I'm not special. <laughs> Nobody's. We all got blood and fingernails and, and we poop, you know, like we're all normal humans. But the reality is, is when you look at some people, how they function. Some people have good hardware, like their bodies are good and healthy and we can operate. Cool. Some people have the ability to handle more without overloading. How is that? Well, their processor processes better. How to get there? They built it over time. They, whatever it was, they kept upgrading the processor. They could handle more, take more on without, like what I did, I, I can do more without burning out. But at a certain point, like if I want the programs to operate well, I got to figure out what's running the programs without me being even aware of it. And that's how an operating system works. OS X, Linux, you know, Windows. These are operating systems that are running things, but we're not really watching it run things. All we see is the hardware and the program running. But what's going on in the background is that processing the brain, again, we can't see, but that, that actual system. And so I look at it as identity. Who you are is running all these things in your life unconsciously. It's just they're doing these things. And when most people go, I, I want to put this new program in, well, can your operating system work with it? Is it compatible? Because a lot of people's operating system is not compatible for the, the program that they want to run of a better relationship or a better job. You just aren't there yet. Nothing wrong with you. You just aren't there yet. Maybe you make the dream smaller. Maybe you just, as opposed to trying to use Photoshop with these high res images, maybe just go ahead and do some clip art, you know, like be good there. But if you want to go here, beautiful. We got to upgrade how we operate at an identity level. Because even if the operating system functions how like you could do better programming the processor could kind of stay the same the processor it can if you don't put a whole bunch of load you don't have a million programs open it can handle that thing so the brain you can do your thing right the hardware it's going to function we all got the same hardware it is what it is so for me it's that identity thing and i really tell people at the end of the day your dream has to match your identity if your identity and your dream don't match it's not going to come to fruition and in that in that action there in order for it to match, you've got to have an operating system capable, prepared, and able to be compatible with the actual program you want to have in your life, that dream of whatever you have that's more. Because if not, you're going to try and install it, and it's not going to install. And so to get the spinning wheel of death, 
and you'd freak out. It's going to all be bad. And then that's what happened in my life. I came out of football, had an identity crisis and marriage fell apart. Family fell apart. Health fell apart. Everything. What's going on? I got a body. I'm a former football player. I got a mindset. I can process. I can do just what is going on. Oh, well, you look at it. My operating system wasn't compatible with the life I was trying to live. I needed to upgrade that level. And when I did, lo and behold, life got better. And so that's kind of where, when I look at the things I do in the book and what I'm teaching people, I'm showing them how to upgrade that operating system. And it's not rocket science. It's not some woo-woo fairy stuff. Like it's real, it's legit. And when you start noticing that your identity is always there, always running, controlling everything, but you aren't controlling it, you start to get a little bit more like, oh, I do have a sense of what this is, how I can manage and things can move smoother. Are you helping us to assess, hey, are you on Windows 95? Are you on Windows ME? And yeah, we do what that. Windows version do you want to get to? I mean, are, are you kind of walking us through that and then how to make the transition as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, conceptually, that, that's what it is. The reality is when we kind of tie things in, what I end up doing is going like a GPS. I have a GPS planner I use. Like any GPS, anything we're trying to do, we'll call that, that upgrade a destination. We want to get to the destination. You got to know what it is. You need to have the address. So like we know clearly what that place is. Then most people, what they'll do is go, all right, let's go. But then you have to have the other side of the thing. You have to know where you're, you're starting. Most people don't know where they're starting. I, it's a statement I love is it's hard to see the label when you're inside the jar. So a lot of people are just rock, rocking and rolling in life and they have no idea where they're at, yet they're trying to chart a path. So they have usually an unclear destination. They don't know where they're starting. And they don't even have the right path that they're borrowing the, the habits and ideas and stuff from somebody else. So the path sucks. So what they do is they get all, they get out of the house and they start running around till they're tired and they go, I didn't get anywhere. Well, yeah, of course you didn't get anywhere. Right? So what I do is go in and say, what's that destination? What, what's the, what's the vision real big. on what's the vivid vision. Let's clarify that. Let me get the address. So you know what that is. Then I go, okay, what's the label on your jar? We go through a process to figure out who you are right now. Like really got to see this. And it ain't always fun by the way. When you finally see yourself, you see the things you don't like as much as you see the things you do like. And when you do and you actually own it, you go, oof, okay, now I need to work on that. You give yourself permission to improve. Now you can chart the little blue line. And for me, it's, I call it like visioneering. We're playing with this language of visioneering. There's, a, there's obviously people have used it before, but I find that a lot of us, even successful people, we got this kind of a vision, but it's not clear. And if it is, we don't have certainty that everything we're doing is the right stuff. We don't have a complete control to where I know that this minute is the perfect minute to be doing what I need to do to get where I want to get to. So we get up, we kind of go left and right and left and right over life. And we're just over here and over here doing stuff. And we, we might get there, right? I don't like that, man. I want to know that what I'm doing is the right stuff so I can give energy there every day. Because the way I run, if I go this fast in the wrong direction, I could be off in, you know, like cock over here and I'm supposed to be over here by Lake Michigan, right? I was going so fast. I got to know where I'm supposed to go. And so I give people that and, and I help not only engineer the vision, but engineer the path to get there. And so when we do that, that destination is I am a person who has a ridiculous level, I call it of limitless, ridiculous power. That's what I want. I want you to feel like I have a limitless sense of ridiculous power. That's my destination for people. It's a version of an identity where the rest of the world drowns out. Everything's operational. It's all in my control. It almost feels like it's like I'm cheating. Like I got cheat codes, you know, and you're not especially just you built this sense of, of you over time. And when we get to that level, 
the cool thing is a lot of us will anchor to the things that we want. I want X, I want Z. And I've come to find that it's not a matter of what it is that you want, right? And what you want to have that'll be the things to drive you. It should be who do I want to become that has those things. And the reason that's so important for us to think about is because in our day and age, people are spending all their time trying to get more information. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. Give me more. I want to learn more. Because if I know more, I can do more. Knowledge is power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowledge is potential power. The problem is a lot of people learn stuff and they aren't the person to apply it. They don't have the identity or the operating system to apply it. So they accumulate all this information, files and folders and stuff in a flash drive, and it doesn't go anywhere. So for me, my big thing is like, if you ask, I ask Harris, I get to this moment in time. It's a good moment that everybody can attest to. I know what to do. I'm supposed to get it done. It's five o'clock in the afternoon. I'm tired now. I don't want to do this. I'm going to scroll my phone. Let me watch Netflix. I'm going to go with my buddies. I'm going to go call somebody. I'm going to go hang out in the backyard. I'm, you know, they do something else. But then you sit down and go, hey, didn't you say you had this dream? Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, so what is that again? And they'll clarify. Okay, that's the vision. Okay. Do you know what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Why didn't you do it? Oh, because blah, 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 blah. I go, okay, great. Does the person who has the, what, the life and the dreams that you want, do they make this same excuse? The answer is no. So right there, I can clarify for you. It is not what you know that's the issue. It is who you are with what you know. So when I come in and work with people, I get you to become the person that has the things. Because if you were that person, you'd already have those things logically. So for me, that's, that's what I get to, to where what's stopping you now, it doesn't even cross your mind to stop you anymore. That's super powerful. Yeah. Application is the differentiator in, in so much of what we do. Yeah. Anthony, thank you again for joining me today, man. Sharing everything that you have. How can you. you? What's that? I'm sorry, buddy. I got you, dog. I know you do. Hey, how can people reach out and get a hold of your book, follow you on your podcast? How can they connect and, and hear more from you? Yeah, you have to go outside. You have to find the man with the Willy Willy Wonka card. And then what you do is he's going to give you a purple uh, purple shotgun. You take the purple shotgun, you shoot it in the air. It's going to be a yellow little streamer that comes out. I'm, I'm joking. Now, you got to go to Instagram at Anthony Trucks. Or if you, if you are so inclined, I have a book that releases here August 24th. Go to identityshiftbook.com. Use the code live. It's the code that gives you all the cool freebies, but, but go through the process. And then if you get the book, it'll give you some freebies by using a code live. Perfect. And I believe you're also Tuesday afternoons. I believe you're also on Clubhouse, right? So if people yeah, want Tuesday to hear noon. you there. Yep. Tuesday noon. You can find me there. You can find me in the club. No, you can find me in the Clubhouse. <laughs> yes. I'm actually, yeah, that's, that's, I don't even know why I said that, but it's true. You can find me in Clubhouse. <laughs> yep. Well, Anthony, thank you again, my friend. I really appreciate this. It's been phenomenal. Welcome, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one. <laughs>